You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 271. In this episode, I talk to Ali Brown about how to step into your zone of genius and become iconic. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing and succeed with masterminds. On today's episode, I talked to Ali Brown, who was one of the first online entrepreneurs and the first woman to conquer then a very male-dominated field. She has been called the entrepreneurial guru for women by Business News Daily and one of Forbes' women to watch. Today, Ali is the world's eminent coach for seven to eight-figure female entrepreneurs and the host of Glambition Radio podcast. In this episode, we talk about her journey and how stepping into her zone of genius created her iconic positioning. Go to signal.com forward slash 271, where you will find links to Ali and the show notes of this episode. I am so excited to be here with Ali Brown. And if you don't know who she is, you are in for a special treat because she has been around for a long time. And in many cases, she's talked about as the godmother of online business for women. <laughs> <laughs> and I had been following you for a long time. I don't know, several years when I started to get interested in online business, your name popped up and I got on your email list. I started to follow you and then it got a little bit quiet, but I was so glad to see someone last year attend your iconic event. And I thought, that's the place where I need to go to. I need to be surrounded by women and women who are very ambitious and are going for the seven and eight figures. So Ali, thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's great to be here. And it's been such a pleasure to get to know you and your work and congratulations on everything you've accomplished, hon. It's amazing. Thank you so much. So before we dive into the topic of what's wrong with online business, we need to go back how you got into online business or how you became known as the godmother, which I think is a cool, cool thing to be known for. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. I like that. It's kind of powerful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's very powerful. One place a lot of people can relate to me is that in my 20s, when I graduated school, unlike Sergen, I don't have like 20 master's degrees. Okay. How many do you have? Four? Four. Right? Four. <laughs> <laughs> the overachiever. Yeah. I got out of school. I was excited to get in the working world though. I remember being excited to try new things and meet new people. And I had hopped around about six jobs in six years and I thought something was wrong with me because I kept thinking, well, this can't be it. I mean, I really like this can't be it. So I kept moving and I liked some things about each job, but the last job I was at was actually this little ad agency in Midtown, New York. And it had like 10 people working there was these bumbly old guys running it. 
And I was like 25, 26. And I, I loved it though, because they were out of the office most of the time. And I got to kind of pretend that I owned the business. But that meant everything from fixing the fax machine to the, when a client would call and say, this ad isn't ready and it's due at the magazine, I would hop on. At that time, it was Quark. I think now it's InDesign. I'd go through the manual and figure this out and then call FedEx. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot. But I was making like 35 grand a year, right? It's so funny. I've heard this story more often lately than not. But what happened is, you know, when you have a shift in your awareness, you can't go back. And I got to know this freelance guy who was coming and going. And I'm like, what's freelancing? And, and how much do you make? And how come you get him to get, come and go? And I have to be here at 8.30, even if I'm done with my work. And he said, well, you could probably do this too. He said, a lot of agencies hire freelance help for things like copywriting, project management. And man, like within a month, I was gone. I was so excited even though I had no idea what I was doing, I was so excited to have that control and that excitement and that be, have that creativity in my work. Now, the downside was I had no idea how to get clients run a business. You know, those things we don't think about. I joined some networking groups. I hustled. Actually, within like a year or two, I was up to the point that I was around six figures. And back then, I'll tell you, it was before the internet was there, but it was not mainstream like it was. Nowhere near that. And so I was literally going to ad agencies, knocking on doors and saying, you know, I have uh, copywriting services. I can help with project management. You know, I just, I'll make your copy. Like, I'm just excited to be in these agencies and see these ads and, and magazines and things. The turning point for me working for myself, though, was starting a little email newsletter to market my services. And that was a list of like 10 people on there included my parents and my cat. And I made it in my AOL address book. Do you remember this? Yes. Okay. Like, like this is not how you start a newsletter, but I'm thinking, how do I keep in touch with these people I'm meeting and let them know what I'm doing? And so I started publishing this thing and I found I enjoyed it. I had a little humor, you know, I'd add some things I'm learning and it started to gain a following. And then I started to get referrals from it. I started to get jobs from it. Someone would call and say, you know, I have a, a friend who works at Adweek magazines. They need a part-time freelance editor. Can you go in for a few weeks? I'm like, awesome. Things like that started to happen. And then this is where you need to pay attention is that if people are asking you how you're doing something, and it may seem natural or normal to you, but they keep asking, that's probably something you're here to teach. At least at the beginning, for me, it was an instant clue what I could do with this. And they said, how are you publishing this email newsletter? And I'm like, from AOL, my address book, like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I started researching it thinking I probably should know. Then I was learning about, as I'm researching it, I see people selling these eBooks online, which I'd never seen. And I'm thinking, oh, I like this. Look, this is what I do, but they packaged it and they're selling it for like 30 bucks. And I thought this was amazing. So I bought an eBook on how to sell eBooks. Really, this isn't, like everyone's like, how did you do this? And I'm like, I bought an eBook on how to sell eBooks and I started selling eBooks. You have to remember though that no one was doing this stuff. This is what I was doing home on a Friday night. This was all this underground kind of thing. This was not mainstream at all. Today, I mean, this is not how you get started. This is the opposite of what I tell you. But, um, oh, I was excited. I learned HTML code. I just would sit home on the weekends and I figured it out. And that's what led to the passive income. Long story short, because this could go on forever though, is kept doing things and people would ask me how I did it and then I'd teach it. So then they were saying, well, how do you sell eBooks? So I created a course on how to sell eBooks. And then I started doing teleseminars when the bridge lines had no mute function. So you would hear people flush or making dinner. Like you hear everything. It was terrible, but I still loved it. Teaching these classes by phone. And when I got really into coaching was probably about 
2004, I was starting to actually have a following of more women. And I didn't mean to, but the women were following me saying, I'm so sick of these guys' seminars and hearing these guys. And I'd just like to learn from you. I think you'd explain this better. Or can I hire you to coach? And I didn't know what coaching was, but I put together something. I said, well, how about three months for a few grand? And, and that's how we started. Some of those women, by the way, today are doing extremely well. So I had the privilege of working with some of the rock stars early on, really showing them how this all worked and putting the pieces together. That's how this all started. From there, it's been an incredible evolution that's gone through many, many um, chapters in my book. Yeah. So you created an online course, also just how to build an online business. The biggest seller and the groundbreaking product that I created was called the Online Success Blueprint. And it happened when I was sitting in a seminar. Of, actually, I was on stage um, back then, typically the only woman on stage. And ladies, I put up with all the bad jokes and terrible things, but I loved learning. Similar to you, Sigrid, I, I know how that stuff, you just love being in the room and absorbing this stuff. And that's what got me all excited. But I was sitting out there, you know, at that time I was teaching email newsletters and that's why they had me on stage. And then I heard these guys all teaching and they were all teaching a different piece of this. Some guys talking about, you know, building your list and other guys talking about products and another guy's talking about websites. And I'm like, why is no one putting this together? I think that's something women are very good at naturally. We see things holistically. We see things that other people wouldn't see. And I'm generalizing here, but men are very good at zoning and focusing. Sometimes I could use more of that. But at this point, it was seeing this puzzle come together. And I thought, Ooh, and I literally just drew it out. And I wish I had a cop I have a copy of it here in the closet. And I made this poster and started selling this kit. I thought, well, I'm going to teach the basic level of all this stuff and put it together. The thing started selling like crazy. I had my first table rush at that next event, outsold most of the guys. And that's when they don't like you, by the way, when people start returning their stuff because they realize that your stuff's better. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> stop getting invited. You know, they're like, well, Allie's stuff puts it all together. And I stopped getting invited. I wonder why. Those were the days, man, though, because when you look back at like, this was like 2005 to 2008, there was no one else putting that together and doing this. Um, that led me to me having some really fun events too. We did workshops. We did then huge conferences. I had events in Vegas. We rented out Tao, the places you go clubbing, Sigrun, all over the world. You know, we had so much fun. And then um, a turning point came. I would say it was probably about 2011. Um, we were running a large program called Elevate. And, you know, we had built, I'd moved on from the blueprint and was doing more holistic kind of business teachings and coaching. And we created these programs. And I mean, they were extraordinary programs. We had hundreds and hundreds of people in them. But I started seeing something interesting happen in the market. And that was everyone else was teaching too. And I kind of took my eye off the ball for a while. I was so immersed in making our programs better and working with our clients. I looked around and realized that I had completely lost our positioning, that people didn't know who we were anymore. People would call and say, like, what's the difference between your program and the girl who's really funny with the really cool videos? And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, what? If there's a question there, that means something's not clear. And at that moment, I realized I had two choices. One was I could keep pushing this the way I've been pushing it and growing it the way I've been growing it. But I realized that was just going to take a lot more work and a lot more money and a lot more team. Or I could blow it up and completely start over in a new chapter where I'm only using my gifts, getting back to having more time and freedom. But my ego was going to have a really hard time with that. Yeah. Because my ego 
was big. We did big things at Allie Brown at the big events and the big programs. And this was a transition period of several years that it took. Also, I happened to meet Brett, my husband. We had twins very quickly. Who has this happened to? Me. Ladies, be careful in your 40s. You could still get pregnant and double your money. <laughs> be very careful. Okay. But we're thrilled. We're, he works with me in the business today. I mean, it was a huge blessing for me. So a lot of life changes got me to start kind of questioning, you know, what was happening. And uh, the problem I see is a lot of women, especially jumping into the online businesses and they're being taught by people who have never truly mastered business. So they're creating things that are going to be really hard to grow. They're not standing out. They're looking at what everyone else is doing and doing the same thing. And that's the biggest frustration I see right now. I'm trying to save people from as the godmother. Yes. <laughs> we brought it back to the godmother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you noticed this 2011 and it hasn't gone better. I wrote a blog post that you could still find at my site. I think it was 2015. And it said the, um, the online launch bubble that I know is coming and how to avoid it. And um, man, it's just stretched out. It's just gotten worse. And what we have here now is, especially if you're in the coaching space, those of you getting started, you need to be aware of a few things. It's still a wonderful profession. I don't want to deter anybody. There's so much opportunity, but there's so much saturation and noise online that it is extremely hard to stand out. And the problem when you have everyone getting in the game is that everything becomes devalued. So even if you have something to offer, they're going to be looking for it cheaper, different, free, right? Everyone wants free stuff now that it's become an extremely challenging environment to do a typical coaching course launch, you know, and I see a lot of people spending tens and tens of thousands of dollars on courses and coaches, but before they're clear on what they want their business to be. That's one thing I've really admired about getting to know you, Sigrun, is you truly have business background. Imagine that. Imagine being a business coach with a business background. Wow. And you're not fresh from your barista position. Not that we haven't worked those jobs in our early years, but it's important that you learn from someone who has a good perspective on the industry and who has a real business background because then you're going to learn the skill sets you can use for the rest of your career, not stuff that's going to disappear in six weeks. Mm. So you basically, what you've done with your business, you've gone a little bit back to the basics because the internet can change and your business will not change if you keep doing what you're doing today. Yeah. So what I did is I did an exercise um, that was in a book I recommend called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And I mailed this to everyone who attended my event. Very simple read. It's deceivingly simple. You may be like, oh, you know, nice coaching book. I read it years ago. Didn't do much for me. I read it a few years ago. I started to cry because it helped me zero in on where was my, not excellence, and some of us, were, oh, we're good at excellence. Like everything we do is awesome. You know, everything's going to go pretty well for people like us when you know what you're doing and you have good business sense and you know you're here for a reason. But sometimes we're capped there. And there was this section on stepping into your genius and have you been denying that? And I'm, this is what I've been feeling. It was like a calling. It was like on paper and to everyone and to myself. I'm like, wow, I've actually reached all my goals. You know, this is great. And I guess I just keep building this. And instead I was called somewhere different and I, and I did this exercise and I realized, you know, my genius is working with leaders and 
There are many people out there who can help women entrepreneurs of all levels. I don't feel like I'm abandoning them. I had this weird feeling about like moving this direction. Like, are they going to think I'm an elitist, that I'm leaving them behind? Like there's so many coaches who knocked off my stuff anyway and are <laughs> teaching it. So just go learn from them. But those women in the seven and eight figures, it's a completely different conversation. I get things that no one else gets. And it's a place where I'm like untouchable. So that's how I frame it now is like, where are you untouchable? Where can no one touch what you do? That's probably the direction that you need to be going in. Yeah, I love that. Now, the big leap, I had a similar experience. I read it when I had my first money mindset is you. <laughs> I dropped my revenue from 25000 in one month to $1,400 in the next month. And I said, ouch. ouch. And people said, <laughs> read the big leap. And I, yeah, I didn't really get it. And then I read it again before your event. I said, okay, time to go back to the book. And it was completely different. What was the biggest impact for you? Well, I think I needed a reminder of the zone of genius. Like I think being in your excellence, like there's a lot of things. I'm a generalist. There's a lot of things I can do. Yes, I operate from a place of a CEO much more than I did in the previous years. But it's honing in even more on the zone of genius. Like what is the best thing? that you're doing in your business. Look, I like the untouchable. So how do you suggest that people figure this out? Well, first of all, pick up the book. It comes from Gay that no one wrote a book better on that than him. So do the internal work that way, but there's an external component to this as well, which is really interesting. And this is what I talked about at Iconic. You know, there's your inner work on this. And then there's the state of the union, looking at your business, your market, your clients and going, you know, have I been following them and following where I think it's easy or is there somewhere I'm supposed to lead them? Everyone says they're a thought leader, but are you truly saying different things? Are you truly leading people to a different place, a different perspective, a different type of wisdom that they may not be having now? And this is where everyone stops for two reasons. One, it's extremely uncomfortable because we're used to getting what? Likes. We don't want people to not like it. What will happen? What if they don't like it? How many likes did I get? And the second is it's not proven, right? This isn't a formula we learned. So we can't blame anyone else. We can't say, well, I did the seven step funnel thing with the tripwire and all this stuff and it didn't work. And, you know, this is you now going, why am I here? Where am I supposed to lead these people? And being okay if the money changes. This was where I stopped. <laughs> honest because I'm like, well, wait, I still want all the millions, right? But I want to go over here and do this. And you know, this is where God universe is waiting on you. You have to make those changes. You have to say, this is where I'm going. And there's typically, I know this from myself and working with my clients, there is a terrifying transitional year that you will have. Some of my clients, they actually warn each other now. They're like, your first year in premiere sometimes <laughs> will be like, Stuff just starts elevating over here and, you know, you know the Sigrun, when you start raising your vibration in one area, other things are going to come up that don't fit. They're going to make themselves very evident to be healed, fixed, go away. That could be team programs, people. So just start looking for clues like, where do I need to go and what do I need to clean up? And, and, and again, this doesn't have to happen all at once. It took me three years to do this. But the danger I realized if I stayed where I was the danger is that I would kind of just become irrelevant. I would fade into this sea of coaches and I don't want to have that on my epitaph saying, you know, yes, she was a good business coach, you know, 
I felt like I'm going to go over here in this lane of one, this category of one. And for positioning externally, it's brilliant because yes, it's working with a smaller market, but now that's what I'm known for. And I had to stake that claim again. And I want to emphasize it didn't happen overnight. I still have people calling and say, can I interview you on uh, like email marketing? And I said, no, here are some names of other people. You know, that was years ago. This is what I'm doing now. So think of this as internal, but also external. Is your market just only wanting free shit? Are you competing with all these other people in your industry and you're sick of it, right? I mean, everyone has even the same hair. They have the same photos. If I see the coffee cup with the journal again, you know that picture? I hope you don't have one. <laughs> I think I have one, sorry. Yeah. Okay, everyone has the coffee cup on the couch. And you know, I'm doing some new photos too and there's probably gonna be a couch photo, but you'll see a lot of the same stuff is what I'm saying. So like, that's what we need to keep in mind, right? And look, I had a lot of the same stuff that looked like everyone too. And I'm like, I'm going to do the opposite now. So my best advice to people getting started, which freaks them out, is typically you should be doing the opposite of what everyone in your industry is doing. Like it's an easy way to stand out. If they're doing X, Y, Z, you need to do A, B, C. I have one uh, colleague of mine who's taken this whole business offline. And it's fascinating because first of all, it helps him stand out. Um, he's had to put money though into direct mail and things like that, that freak everyone out, but no one can copy his business. It's extraordinary. You know, just thinking very, very differently. When I marketed Iconic last year, I was like, I do not want this feeling like anyone else's event page. So we did just all black with amazing copy. I had a friend call me after that. She said, you, you sold that out without one fucking video. I hate you. <laughs> one fucking video. So start just thinking that way. I know this is a lot to throw out everybody, but really, if you don't do this, and especially in the US, they predict there's a coming recession, okay? There's going to be a huge shakedown. And if your positioning is not solid, if you don't have a solid business model and a market that has money, and sees you as worth investing in, you're going to have a really hard time. This comes back to the positioning that you did at Iconic. So I've already shared, at least with my paying clients, my breakthroughs and insights. And I love that you mentioned category of one. Can we dive a little bit into that? Can you mention like an example of what that means? We're taught often, like get excited about competition. It makes you better, right? To be the best, be the biggest, do things better. And that's actually exhausting and it's hard to prove in your marketing. And people can't see the difference right now. Even educated people are looking at marketing and it's all blurring together. Even if you're offering the PhD in your industry and people are selling the ebook, right? People just aren't understanding. So competing in any category where there's a lot of competition, unless you're just naturally eons above, is going to be a losing game because you end up then competing on price. You end up working harder. You end up pouring more money into ads. Like it's just crazy. Think about where that place is where you are untouchable and where can you be a category of one? How can you get super, super clear on that? So for me, it's just easy example is that I decided to be the preeminent coach for a seven and eight figure women entrepreneurs. There was no one claiming that there were other coaches who worked with those women, but didn't claim it and own it and not work with the others, right? Yeah. This is what I did that would scare the crap out of most people out there. Because if you were looking at numbers and a market, women business owners in the US make up less than 3%. Some people say 2% of the entire 
pool of women business owners, then narrow it down to the type of women I want to work with in these types of businesses and, and eat, 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 right? Anyone out there would say, well, that's crazy. It's too small a market. Oh no. Like it's perfect. They show up ready to invest. No one misses a payment. It's a dream come true. No one gives me a problem. It's so evident now that like I get people calling saying it's time to work with Allie. Literally they call they talk to Jen and my team and say like, I'm at these numbers. I've worked with blah, 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 done the whole circuit. And now we all know that then comes Allie, right? So I'm trying to think, do you have another example from the event that you could remember? Because I wish I had my notes in front of me on uh, that like category of one. Well, there was the podcast service. You know, one of your clients has a podcast service. Yeah, good example. So Jessica and Margie, who they're together all the time. I've never seen them apart. So I call them Jargi. They're going to be at the meeting actually next week. They started a business that really was founding a whole new industry. Their business is helping guests connect with great podcasts, right? They really do a lot of research and make the right matches. The problem was then people started copying their business. This always happens, by the way. They're like, oh, this looks easy and we can make money. Let's do this. Once people work with the other businesses, they find out they don't know what they're doing. The problem was they weren't making it as evident that they're really the only game in town, how long they've been in business, their qualifications, the number of shows in their database, their specific process for matching guests with the best shows that will get the best results for them. Like they have this whole process, but from the surface, it was indistinguishable. So a great exercise is to think of like the three things that you do in your work that maybe no one else does or three claims to fame you have that no one else has. You know, really getting clear on why you're different. And this is a little different than the old USP exercise, you know. This is really looking at where can you create that category of one, that untouchableness. I love that. So now they're talking much more clearly. Now they're saying we are the leading podcast agency in North America, possibly the world, you know. Yeah. And here's the thing too, we're all going through these exercises and I could see people just little hesitant. We're not used to saying, yeah, I'm the best. I'm number one. You know, that's what the guys do easily, by the way. Like we're not used to that. So I said, the superlative police are not going to come out with you. No one's going to come and knock on your door in the middle of the night and say, you're actually not number one. (laughs) You know, you're actually not the leading. These are often things that we can't prove, right? But you just know that you're the best. You know, you're the leading most recognized. That's what I use often too. Allie Brown is the most recognized coach in the world for women entrepreneurs. I could say recognized, right? That's something I could say. So think about where you can make that ballsy claim to fame and start using it. It's going to be a little uncomfortable for some of us, right? Got to ease into it. But it's really, once you start using it, you'll actually get quite comfortable with it. Like when they announce you on stage, you'd be like, they didn't say that I was the best. Like... (laughs) They forgot to mention I'm number one. I'm leading, you know. It's so interesting that I have kind of forced my VIP clients to claim that they're number one this and number one that, but I didn't do it for myself. Are we all, yep. <laughs> <laughs> there was another exercise that I loved at your event was the bold claims. So I'm not talking about the category of one, but something you stand for or believe in. You share it maybe. I take my own example. I share it with my paying clients. I can get very kind of fierce and, and, and have strong beliefs, but I realized I was not doing that on the outside, like, you know, to the world. Right. We do it with our safe tribe. Yes. But not the outside. Yeah. So why, why is this important? For women especially, we'll privately have opinions on things, 
We will share them often with our colleagues and clients. And to be clear, there are some things I would say in the room with women like you, and I would probably not say outside. Like one of the things I'll say, I'll say it on your show is that I really, I think it's pretty hard in America not to make six figures. If you can't make six figures in this business, whatever you're working, if it hasn't happened pretty quickly, then you're either in the wrong business or you may not be an entrepreneur. Like, and some people get upset when I say that they're like, no, anyone can do it. I'm like, yes and no. If I were to get really clear on that statement and and make that a bold provocative statement, it would be, you know, not everyone is cut out to be an entrepreneur. Or if you're not making six figures, just shut the door and go home. Like, <laughs> yeah, that will be disruptive. It's not something I'd really say, but sometimes I'm thinking that, and I'm thinking something's not working, maybe this isn't it. Just go get a job and figure it out and come back. So do you see where I push that though? Where we hold back, sometimes women will say, oh, I believe, I feel, here's what I'm thinking. Change it to a bold, provocative statement. So I'm trying to think of one that was in an example. Oh, Eleanor Beaton, who's also in Premier, right? She teaches women's leadership. Um, She's from Canada. And we were in a conversation one day and she said something just that knocked me on the floor. She said, you know, women don't want power. And I'm like, oh, that's like so provocative because you think about it, it rifles you for a minute. And then you're like, tell me more. And she talks about the dilemma women are having because they say they want power, but they're not willing to do what it takes. But that statement and the way she says it, it's not a conversation saying, you know, some women say this, but they feel that it's saying women don't want power. And it makes you just go, oh my gosh, like it's true. It's false. I don't know if I agree with that. Yes. No. What do you mean? It's so powerful. So think about an opinion you have that is important to share related to your business, something you really stand for strongly. And how can you make that a bold, provocative statement? And then remember, this is all for me privately, but think about how you could use that to fodder some healthy discussion. Debate's good online. Just delete the crazies, right? You get people writing stupid stuff. But something I had to get very clear on a few years ago is I realized, I said, people don't realize I think differently because I'm not saying it. And they need to hear me saying this stuff because that's what turns them around. That's where they go, oh my God, she's talking about the stuff that I was thinking, but no one's talking about. I'm going to go follow her. So I started sharing quotes. I started doing more opinionated shows. These are things that women, like it or not, we have to do a little more consciously, make these decisions to do that. That's why I have a process for us to use. The the biggest change I made when I started doing very opinionated shows and very... um, being more bold in what I was saying. And I, I literally had to turn up that dial, right? And, and say like, I'm going to put the needle over here, which really still is here, right? For women, but like, we feel like we're over here. We're going to have people up in arms. That is when people started paying attention to me again. When I wasn't just saying, here's the six steps to grow your business and blah, 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 right? It was blending in. So what's something that you stand for, right? That you would burn at the stake for, that you really should be sharing and using your voice. Because right now, especially, you know, women's voices need to be heard right now. And the world is not used to hearing opinions from women. And we need to make this mainstream. Yeah, and they tend to get criticized more, even if a man would say the same thing. So that's something that scares the crap out of them so they don't say it. Yeah, it comes with the territory and it's easier said than done. I'm a very sensitive person. Like I often don't, if I post something provocative to, I'll tell you what I do. I literally shut the laptop and I don't read the comments and I'll wait till my team cleans out. They'll clean out any real jerks on there, right? But if there's a healthy debate, I'll go back and look. 
But really, if you're sitting there waiting for someone to say something bad, they will. So you just need to know, oh, there's the asshole. Okay. I don't know if you swear on your show, but I am. Sorry. You could bleep me. You know, just know we kind of make a joke about it. I'm like, there it is. We were waiting for it. We were waiting for someone to say that, you know, it just becomes part of the game. And then what inspires me is following people doing, you know, real game-changing risk-taking stuff like people saying very provocative or interesting things online and seeing that they're not reading the comments. When you look at the football player, Kaepernick, who is here, I don't know if you heard about the whole thing over there, but you know, the- Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Right. Okay. So politics aside, this is a really interesting conversation we had in at the last premiere meeting is looking at like, now I'm following him and uh, just to see what his whole thing is now. And people write all kinds of crap, right? And he's not there arguing with them. He's not even reading the comments. He's out doing the stuff that he feels is changing the world, right? And that's how I'm thinking right now. Like, if I'm stooping to feed the trolls, then you know I'm not going to get sucked into these fights. I'm going to be focusing on my iconic work. That's where we need to be focused. And that's where I see a lot of women get pulled into these conversations or debates or my friend didn't agree with what I said. And you know, it happens at the high levels too. It doesn't go away. So you have to figure out a way to manage that for yourself and, and for your energy. So you talk about iconic. How did that come about? I think the name is brilliant for the event. So did that just come to you or did you have to look for it? I was at an event hearing someone talk about leadership and they just said, you know, there's different kinds of leaders and, and some really have become icons of their industry. And I'm thinking, what does icon really mean? And I'm thinking, oh, iconic, iconic. I just love that word. I've always liked one word brands. When I had my event, it was called Shine. The program was Elevate. And it's just such a beautiful word. And for me, it's a combination of, I always go right to Steve Jobs in my mind when I think of that. He was iconic for innovation and standing for beautiful products that gave people joy and changed the world, right? There's people iconic of it. And there's bad icons too. You know, Hugh Hefner was an icon. And in the beginning of the event, I put together a slideshow and I was debating putting in some ones ago, people like, oh my God, but I kept it. <laughs> I kept it pretty mainstream, but there are some polarizing people. They stand for things. For the work that I do, I use that word especially to pull out of people like, what is that work you're going to be known for and remembered for? And that is your iconic work. And that is where I draw the line between teaching good stuff versus leading people to a new place. Do you believe anyone can be iconic? No, I don't. I think it's something to aspire to, but there's a combination of a few things. One is this isn't something you jump to from beginner levels. Possibly you could grow there, but this is a clear decision you have to make once you've achieved excellence. So in the Gay Hendricks pyramid, right, there's the competence, incompetence. I hope no one listening is incompetent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> competence, competence, right? Excellence, which is where we get trapped. And then there's genius. And then really I'm working on this whole new, for the book, I have the workshops to get me thinking and dialogue with everybody. And then there's something new always comes out of it. You have to be tapped into your genius to really tap into your iconic work. So it's almost this feeling of being preordained by the universe, by God for something. Like, you know, there's a destiny, you know, there's something bigger for you at stake. And if you don't have that feeling, it may be just that you're at the bottom level and you're working your way up. I know I always had a feeling though, something amazing was going to happen. I've had it since a child. Yeah. You just kind of know, and you're not clear, 
but you have this knowing and excitement that this isn't it, you know, being the prom queen was not the moment, you know, (laughs) that was not where you peaked, you know. I do think that as the more women I talk to, there's always been a feeling for them that they're here to do something very impactful and grand in their own way. I love that. And that's pure opinion, right? I mean, this isn't a science. It's more of an art, but that's my observation. I already have the name for the show. I always interview people first and then I come up with a name. Ah, Uh, That's why you wouldn't give me a name. What is, do you know, (laughs) tell me? Well, how to step into your zone of genius with Ali Brown. Yes. A big block people have when they move into, um, even if you know where you want to go, is now saying no to all the things that don't fit that. Yeah. There are maybe courses or things or people or events. I think that's one thing you mentioned at your event. Are you going to conferences and seminars that you maybe shouldn't be going to? Uh, yeah, even attending, not even running, right? But like, yeah, is that really lifting you to a higher place or is it just fun? You like the people, there's some good stuff. You have to start making those decisions. And that's hard. That's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, it feels like when I became a CEO, I had been working in the company and became a CEO. So basically my colleagues became my employees. And that shifts something. And I think that's the same experience you have when you stop going to certain events You stop offering a certain course. Like you said, you feel like you're leaving people behind, but you have to do it. Otherwise, you don't step up into your zone of genius and become iconic. Yeah, I um, I don't want to say lost some friends. You know, there wasn't any traumatic moment there, but definitely there was this. I know for a while there was probably some chit chat, like who does she think she is and she doesn't want to hang with us anymore. And, oh, she doesn't come to these events anymore. She's too good. And I'm thinking, well, actually, you know, no, I want to make more money. So I'm over here, <laughs> you know, and I don't just want to sit at the bar and talk about people and do the same stuff and learn the same stuff. You know, I was thinking like, isn't there more you guys want to do beyond building your list? and selling stuff. Like, like, can we talk about some world issues? I started, um, make a conscious decision. This is great for women, especially because we typically network laterally, but we don't network up. This is something Eleanor talks about a lot. If you can catch one of her shows on this, it's really good. She said, you know, we network across, but we don't consciously say I need to be in a different room. And that's what I did. And I literally through my calendar the next year, I was crossing out stuff. I didn't have stuff to fill it in yet. And I started doing research. I'm like, why don't I go to maybe more of a women's conference, like leadership? Uh, I'm going to go to like a Inc. 500 event to see what these types of business owners are like. Applied for the Inc. 500, won it. Applied for different awards. Just totally thought differently. And that's a great place to start if you're not sure. Ali? Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to talk about how to step into your zone of genius and become iconic. Thank you. Go to sig.com forward slash 271 where you will find links to Ali and the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, please share, subscribe and give the show a review on Apple Podcasts. See you in the next episode.